are back with another episode of the Yacht Rock Podcast, Out of the Main, and another song focus, in a way. Indeed. Yes, we're going to do a little bit differently this time. A little bit differently, yep. That'll be cool. Um, I've got some isolation puns uh, pulled up ready. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Yes. Because we need more puns. Yes, exactly. Do those still get a ding, or is that something else? They should get a ding, because it's going to be like on a stranded island, you know, you're lost in isolation or something like that. Uh, But before we dive in, anything uh, new in your world? Yeah, actually, I I have developed, and uh, you know what they talked about, the uh, people that found the fountain of youth? Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, like Ponce de Leon, I have discovered the secret to figuring out what the ultimate Yacht Rock song is. Despite all the data that's out there, I have a foolproof method of determining the best Yacht Rock song. And here's how you go. What you do is... We interrupt this podcast to bring you breaking news. So, yes, breaking news occurred over the weekend. Really? The 4th of July weekend. What a time for news. Oh, I know. Slow news day, but not, 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 not in the Yacht Rock, Rock world. <laughs> so, Seems fitting. What happened was is the family and I were in the car heading up north, as we Michiganders like to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and truth be told, we were listening to the Yacht Rock Sirius Station, <gasps> XM. Crowd goes wild. Yes, uh, which I still like to do. And... Um, a song comes on, and everyone in the car is like, wait, wait, this is Yacht Rock? <laughs> and it was, um, what's that? Uh, they play it all the time. It's um, Michael McDonald. It's got all the drum synth. Uh, Not Yamo B there, but the Sweet Freedom. Sweet Freedom, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And everyone's like flabbergasted. I'm like, yeah. no, I, I think this is even syndicated by, or sorry, certified by the guys. So I look it up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, sure enough, it's certified. The very next song is Easy Lover oh, by geez. Philip Bailey and Phil Collins. And then I think it was my wife said, "Now this song is definitely not Yacht Rock." Right. And I said, "So you think?" Yeah, but it's certified. <gasps> Let me pull up that score. Right. And I go to pull up the score. Lo and behold, it doesn't appear anywhere in the Yatsky scale. But it was. I know it was. I know it was. And I started racking my brain, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, am I imagining things?" I even remember the score was like I know. 56. We've talked so much about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know what's going on. Let me check again right now, as a matter of fact. All right. It is st- it's not on there. Okay. So, but I do have access to the master database. That's right. There's that other Excel document that's out yes, there. Yes, it's a Google. lives behind sheet, the Google door. Yeah. And it is there, and it is at the number that I remembered. Uh, so the breaking news oh. is, for some reason, Easy Lover's been purged from the Yatsky scale. Ooh, they're memory-holing some of these <laughs> decisions, huh? I would love to know why. What happened? I just thought it was interesting. Uh, so going back to what was I thinking, maybe we're not the only ones that get it wrong from time to time. Well... Should we uh, head back to our regular program? That concludes our breaking news. Very good. This has been a breaking news special report. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Okay. Well, back on with today's topic. Although, last thing on the breaking news is if somebody knows what happened, like put it on Facebook, comment on our post, and let us know what happened to that too. Okay. Uh, Well, so song focus episode. And this one is different, as you said. We actually are going to do uh, Rosanna, which is one of the top highest rated. It's the highest rated Toto song mm-hmm. um, of 12 that they do have certified. This one was rated 95.75. But what's different is now we have the isolated tracks. Uh, we have the guitar track by itself, the drum track by itself, uh, the bass 
track by itself. So we can go through, we're going to go through this song by song, but instrument by instrument. Yes. So that makes it a little different. Very. And these um, tracks are not something that we've stolen off the internet. They are on YouTube and they haven't been taken down yet. They've been there for a while, apparently. So, yeah. A little uh, background. On Rosanna first, it uh, did as we've talked about this song before because we did the album Total Four Focus a while back, um, but it won a Grammy for Record of the Year in 1983 Grammys, and it was also nominated for Song of the Year. And I would say this was kind of a life changing song for me. It's what made me discover session musicians. Now, granted, they were a band at the time, but then I got to know who Jeff Percaro was, who Steve Percaro was, who, you know, Steve Lukather was, and started seeing their names on other records. So I started to get an understanding as a young kid, I mean, 12, 13, whatever I was at the time, maybe 15, um, what a session musician was. So it was big time for me. Did you know how vast their respective catalogs were at the time? No, it was only at this point that I started recognizing their names in all these different places, and then that grew over time. Uh, the video, of course, was, you know, modeled after West Side Story, famously. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I looked this up. It was directed by a guy named Steve Barron. Now, you want to talk about a guy with uh, Yachty cred, or just cred in general. We talk about personnel. This mm. guy's personnel for days. Here's some of the videos that he directed. Billy Jean. Mm. Uh, he did a couple of Brian Adams videos. He did that famous Money for Nothing video. Oh, yeah. Uh, Eddie Grant, uh, Electric Avenue. <laughs> Don't say doy. Doy! Uh, yeah, there you go. Def Leppard, Let's Get Rocked. Um, Don't You Want Me by The Human League. Baby Jane by Rod Stewart. Pale, Pale Shelter, Tears for, Tears for Fears. Mm. He also did the Africa video and the greatest video, possibly, of all time, uh, Take On Me by Aha. Oh, wow. This guy was it, man. Yeah. Well, now that's another name we're going to have to start recognizing and yep. remembering. Yep. Awesome. And... Um, one last thing about the video that it did uh, feature, you know, a woman that was supposedly Rosanna dancing around. And that woman was played by a woman named Cynthia Rhodes, who ended up getting discovered via that video and ended up getting her cast into Staying Alive, which was sort of the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Hmm. Another dancer in that video that was uncredited apparently also got discovered. Patrick Swayze. Oh my God. And he and Cynthia Rhodes together were in Dirty Dancing. So she was one of the other stars in wow. that. Wow. So, She's got like a Yachty that? name too with Rhodes as her last name. My gosh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yachty. Very Yachty. Wonder if her middle initials E. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Wow. And Patrick Swayze. So he's got a yep. brushy with uh, Yacht Rock himself. And it's the first we get to see of Mike Percaro. He uh, faked the bass on that. Even though Hungate played it on the record, he had left by the time they cut the video. It's fun fact. Fun facts. All right. Well, uh, you ready to dive in here, sir? Yeah, this is the ultimate Toto track, according to Lukather and Steve Percaro, so it probably makes sense that we do this one first. Yeah. One last thing to add is I did want to sort of clear the barnacles on this story about, is this about uh, Rosanna Arquette? Yes. Um, it is true that Steve Percaro was sort of dating Rosanna Arquette at the time, and she was around the band and all that stuff, but despite the rumors... And even, I guess, Steve and Rosanna sort of played along with the joke on in some interviews and stuff. David Page, I've seen him in an interview himself say the song is not about Rosanna Arquette. He said it, it encompasses sort of multiple female pictures that he has in his head, some real, some not. 
but it was that the name Rosanna fit rhythmically what he wanted to do, and it just fit the lyric well. So, hmm. and uh, despite what the OGs put in their video, it's not about that either. So, <laughs> uh, that enough, enough said. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's listen to before we get into the individual tracks. Let's just hit the kind of what we'd call the basic tracks. Yeah, there was. I don't know where these tracks came from. My guess is that maybe when they were making. What was uh, the, uh, not Guitar Hero, but what was the other one called? Uh, Rock Band, Rock that Band. game. I th- they sort of separated out tracks for those things. So we have one track here that's a mix of, it's got drums, some of the keyboards, and the horns in it, right? It doesn't have the synth solos and stuff. So it's kind of a bed track, but it doesn't have bass and doesn't have all of the keys in it. So yeah. what, do you, what, what caught your attention in that one? Well, the first thing was just how when you strip everything else away, including the like, you focus more, at least I was allowed to focus more on the complexity of the chords and the voicings uh, on the piano, essentially. And you hear fuller, richer chords, I think, when you listen to just this. Yeah, so that's the main establishing riff that uh, David would have written. And you do. You hear that because my ear always goes to Lukather's bam, 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 in that, you know, so in the drum part. So hearing that, it does help you focus on it for sure. And then, of course, those horn hits are uh, right here the first time those are introduced. That's, I think, cool to just hear in isolation, whatever. We hear it in isolation anyway, but it's like, oh, man. Man, I'd love to hear it in true isolation, though. Yes. Um, One of the things that caught my attention was at the very end when they do the extended play out, especially when you get to the part that's sort of beyond where where they would have faded, but just you get a better sense because, again, at the end, I'm focused so much on the guitar work. You really, in this, you get a sense of what Paige is doing on the piano. A lot of real New Orleans gumbo stuff going on here. So let's play a little of that. It's like there's uh, a hidden piano solo hiding in plain sight because you take everything else away and that could just be a piano solo. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that in the way it's layered with the organ. It's really nice. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's strip it down and yep. let's go. Uh, where do you want to start? I'm going to imagine you're going to want to start with Jeff Picard. I'm going to start with the drums. Yeah, why not? And before we start on the drums too much, we, I just wanted to make note that uh, somewhere around the launch of this episode, uh, look up Inside Music Cast, because they did an interview with Jim Keltner, who was Jeff Percaro's sort of mentor, and according to the post I saw on Inside Music Cast, there is an extended section where Keltner does talk about Jeff. So if you're really into Jeff Percaro, that's worth checking out as well. Okay, so let's start, I mean... <laughs> The, the the famous Rosanna beat, right, at the beginning. And uh, hearing it in isolation, we always get that on the, you know, we get a few bars of it at the front. But let's listen to a little bit of it and just kind of focus on not just the bulk of the beat, but the little ghost notes, as we call them, that are happening in between. That's what really makes it kind of groove. And you don't hear a lot of that in the full mix. 
And I wanted to point out, Tom, I don't know what your notes are on this, but I wanted to compare quickly the, the main beat that he plays in the verse, then the way he changes it up for the chorus. Notice how the kick pattern completely changes. And then, of course, at the end, he goes into a almost an inside-out version of the beat. He kind of flips things around. And then at the very end here on the fade-out, he switches over to the ride and gets really busy on the kick drum just to give it that extra push. You know, you need that extra something for the fade-out. say you need something extra for the fade out yes indeed. but what's cool about this track is you hear beyond the fade out because we get all the way to the end when he stopped playing the, the, the track and you get to hear this Yes, so you're basically tracked right with uh, a lot of the things that I had observation but if you go back to the top real quick and I just focus, I can listen to the hi-hat all day and just listen to the hi-hat. That's the hardest part. It's the hardest part. It's, I mean, a lot of a lot of drummers can do the kick and the snare pattern and even with some of that ghosting, but as soon as you put that complete shuffling hi-hat on there, that tick, 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 putting that on there, that is where it, it gets really difficult, especially at that. That's a pretty good tempo to be uh, shuffling that hard yeah. for that long, five-minute-long song. And right? at some points, that right hand is just flying, right? It's just, yeah, it's amazing. Here's my question to you. Is the drum fill going into the chorus the same every time? That We might have to play them back-to-back-to-back. All right, let's do that. Here's number one. Number two. And number three. Here's number four. And there's got to be one more, right? So we're getting ready to head into the vamp. That one's got to be different. And then, just to play off that, is go back to two minutes, 50 seconds. We're coming uh, out of a course. We're going to the change part. Mm -hmm. He does like a lazy version of that, and it just feels so kind of chill to Mm -hmm. go to a new section. My only other takeaway from on the drums is I'm surprised. I guess I never realized how much reverb is on the track. Now, I don't know that this is exactly the mix that is in the record, but... uh, They're surprisingly wet for what we consider to be a more organic or in-your-face mix. Yeah. I noticed the same thing on the vocals, by the way. Yes, yes. Well, that's probably why the vocals don't sound as wet, because the drums are wet. So once, (laughs) you know, it all kind of runs together. Yeah, Crosswash. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So now it's your turn to pick an instrument. Let me guess what you're going to pick. Um, is there any um, pan flute on this one? No. Nope. Uh, all right. Well, let me just preface this bass section okay. on something. Now, as a bassist myself, sort of, I'm no Hungate, that's for sure. But to me, it's the one instrument that sounds horrible in isolation. And I cringe whenever I listen back to my soloed out bass lines, partially because they're cringeworthy, I would imagine, but also because you hear all these flaws and it doesn't seem to feel right without the drummer there. And lo and behold, we've got one of the best bass players in the world of all time, David Hungate. And this sounds a little cringe. Let's hit some of it. There's so much fret noise in there. There's a lot of buzz, and um, it, the playing isn't sloppy as much as no. it's just uh, that is the nature of the instrument. And in isolation, you really hear it as a fly. I just wonder how much in today's world would we attempt to fix that? I don't know, but I think, I guess the larger point I was making is that bass, more than any other instrument, sounds totally different once it's mixed in with other stuff. Like, you don't hear all that stuff. No. And I'll give you an example. I'm going to go completely off the boat right now, because you sent this to me years ago. Chris Squire. Yeah. Here's the isolated bass line in Roundabout, and see if you hear any fret noise in this bad boy. I think all I hear is fret noise. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds perfect Yeah, on the record. Yeah. So anyways, I guess I'm, I, my larger, larger point is stop fixing my bass lines when I send them to you. They're already perfect. Well, they're already out of, they're out of time, though. I have to fix that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not everything could be yeah. perfect. What's your, I'm curious what you would say, because you said a couple episodes ago, classic David Hungate bass. Can you pinpoint what you meant by that? Because I have a technique of his that seems to come back a lot in its present in the song. I don't hear what I would call the classic Hungate in this song so much. This to me feels like him being very much a team player. It's a very workman's like kind of bass part. It's uh, a lot of root notes. Um, it goes from <clears throat> playing that bow diddly pattern that along with the kick drum that don't, 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 you know, it goes from that to in those pre-choruses where it's in double time, he's just kind of laying it down, boom, 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 boom. Um, there's a few fills and things later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, later on. But um, for the most part, I would call this kind of a, he's playing fairly inside, yeah. other than when we get to the chorus and they switch to the thumbing part. Yeah, well, before we get there, what I thought you meant, and listen, what are the signature techniques that I find in Hungate is that, I'm going to see how I, if I can describe this right. He'll slide up to a note 
to use that as a launching point to get to another note, like maybe a fifth above it or an octave. Yeah, it kind of does a chordal thing up there. Exactly. Right. Zoom de doom, zoom de doom. Right. So you hear a little bit of that here. So, again, it's not classic Hungate, but that's kind of what I'm describing. And then, like you said, in the fade-out, there's more of that. But let's go back to what you said about the thumbing. I'm calling it slapping. Listen to the first chorus. It sounds like he's not popping, but he's right. slapping that thing. And again, it sounds a little bit in isolation sloppy but it's, thin. It's, it's not sloppy and it's thin yeah um but again i wonder how much we would fix that today but that's just well you, you don't hear you don't get a sense that anything is wrong when you hear it in the, mix. in the mix and i'm not saying there's anything wrong there but it is not nearly as precise as i would have expected once you pulled everything away and I'm saying that's true of a lot of bass lines you hear more bass obviously and mix more bass than i do but that's did you ever know he was slapping there yes i never knew that yeah I've never seen them live. You can actually, if you listen really closely on these tracks, you can hear the punch where it gets punched in. There's a tiny little click between the end of the verse to the start of the chorus, which would have been probably in the the tape deck clicking as it uh, was punched in. So it makes me wonder if they had to make a tonal change to his rig to do the choruses Hmm. or whether this idea came later and they'd already played it fingered and they came back later and said, what if we thumbed it and... I mean, I, that's what I mean by thumb slapping it. Yes, yeah. um, you, they definitely have different tone. I find what I'm doing it. The output just is not the same, and you got to EQ it differently. And nowadays, you might use a pedal or something yep. when you get to that point. But um, it, the sound, though, it's funny. I was on TalkBass.com, um, which is a fun website for us bass nerds, and they were talking about the song. And somebody said, uh, "I don't think it's possible to get." Any more P bass than that sound. That's it. Which is the Fender Precision. He used his 1962 Fender Precision on this tune. And that is one of the nuances of the P bass is the a lot of fret noise, a lot of buzz. Yeah, that's just the nature of the instrument. Yep. Um, if you go to 4:45, so now we're getting to the end. Yep. And at 4:45, he does this little fill. That's kind of the slide thing. Uh, but now we're in the coda section. Right. And then anything to add on that? Because I just want to wrap it up with typical of Yacht Rock session players. As we get closer to the end of the song, start throwing in your tricks. You might as well. In a tasty way. It's probably going to get cut anyway. Because you figure it's going to be faded by then, so why not? Check out some of the fills he's doing. You get to all the way to 515, uh, and he's got these two. There's a fill, and then upcoming another one right behind it. Well, the only other thing I had on my notes, it goes back to the beginning, so I know it puts us out of order, but I get, uh, I didn't notice this before, but when he's playing that, what I call the Bo Diddley sort of beat, is that um, is when the vocals come in, how he varies the pattern. Yes. So here, here's the intro. And now notice what he does with the long notes in the second half of the bar for when the vocals come in, which is this. So, subtle change, but 
these are the subtle changes that make things interesting. Yeah. You know, and it's not predictable. Last thing I'll say on the imperfect quality of what appears to be this track in isolation is that when you put it with drums, that kick drum adds a lot to the what you are perceiving the tone of the bass to be and the note of the bass to be. So it can sort of mask some of those imperfections and I think that's why it sounds so much better in the bass. And then you've got keyboards and other stuff mm-hmm. added, you know, covering some of the note qualities. So it sounds perfect in the mix though, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about the P bass too. Sounds great in the mix. I think that sound <laughs> isolated is harsh. Guitar players and bass players both probably don't like what happens to their tracks in the mix because they'd be shocked, particularly guitar players, but bass players too, how much low end gets rolled out of your sound. Mm. Um, and bass players, they love to hear the room shake when they hit a, a low E or whatever. And guitar players love to hit that power chord. And you like to see the dishes on the tables, you know, <laughs> rattling towards your heads. You know, like that football game, that yes. vibrating football game. That's yeah. what they like. But I tell you what, when you're mixing, you don't, you don't want any of that because you want that punch to come from the kick drum. And you want just enough, as you're saying, tonality from those instruments. Yeah. You don't need the thunder. Right. Yeah. Well, you know me. I love the mid range in my bass. Yep. Uh, it's got a growl, baby. All right. Well, you speaking mentioned. Speaking of growl. Speaking of guitarists who yeah. want to shred people's face off. There are so many different nuanced things going on in Luke's guitar parts that... Uh, and before you list them, can I ask you a question what you think okay. is going on here? Yeah. Do you think this was all bounced to a single track? Because we're going to hear different kind of parts, but there's no overlap in what we're going to hear. So did they take... Did they bounce it? Did they only use one track because they had to? Any idea what we're There's multiple to? tracks there. Some of them are, are single tracks and then... Um, so I sort of have that kind of in my notes is that... Um, let, we'll, let, we'll kind of get to that as we go, and I'll okay. point it out. So intro, let's hit that intro and verse pattern and just notice how you always focus on that ding, 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 that higher note. But notice this is all one part, so he's pedaling this low G that goes along with the bass, and then above it when he hits those bumps, that's an octave above. But this is all one part as he's laying it down. <laughs> Now we get to the what's the the pre-chorus section where uh, he plays these beautiful chords and notice he has just a subtle little vibrato, a little picks up that whammy bar and gives it just a little subtle vibrato, which I've never heard. And now I listen to the song full mix. Now it's all I can hear. Yeah, I never heard that before. And if you listen to that either in front of stereo speakers or if you're listening on headphones, you can hear that there is. Um, a stereo field going on there. It's one part, but there's multiple microphones, so they probably have something close on the amp, some stuff back in the room. Maybe it's even got a stereo chorus going on, but that's also true with that intro part. You can hear stereo space in it, though it's still one guitar performance Mm. up to this point. I was actually going to ask you if you thought that was the tremolo or if he was doing it with bending some knack action going because it's so subtle. It feels like the the bar to me, the whammy okay. bar to me, yeah. Well, Steve, if you're listening, let us know how yep. you did that. And then we come to the first big hit of layered power chord guitars. And this is where the stereo field gets even wider. Let's hit a little of that. So then we get to the uh, section. So up to this point, the song starts in the key of G, 
And then halfway through the verse, it modulates down a step to the key of F, which is kind of unheard of in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is where we get that first hit of the big power chord guitars, and the stereo field gets even wider. So at this point, what I'm hearing, I'm still hearing the clean part in there doing its thing, but now I hear a clear hard left, hard right power chord guitar thing. So he's added two more guitar layers at least at this point. So now we hit that double time section and what I find interesting here is he's going back to that clean tone, but notice how the parts follow the melody. I like the little pinch screams right before the chorus. Yeah, yeah, like this. Yeah. yeah, that. Yeah, it was like pinching it off, baby. So the chorus is built uh, on, it's got those big power chord hits, but in between is that snappy guitar, probably the same tone he uses at the beginning. But again, he's playing a small little chordal part that follows the melody. So check that out. So he's got the melody embedded into that part. And you yeah. can feel just that alone. You can feel the groove of the, uh, that entire section just from the guitar part, the way he's playing it. And he's got a little delay in there, like an eighth note delay that's uh, timed to the tempo. It, that little clean rhythm part could be a whole uh, Rick Springfield song. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would be remiss if we didn't isolate the solo, which is we've already brought up as I put it on the, my list of best guitar solos of all. Yacht Rock Time. Lots of presence in that tone. It's brighter than I realized. Oh, yeah. And it's just such good playing, too, you know? Just the way he establishes it at the beginning and then builds. And I mean, it's, <laughs> he's perfect. It just everything he plays is darn near perfect, I swear. So now, here's one of those questions I have. If we go, we're going to go up to four minutes and 30 seconds and play this part in isolation. And my question goes back to these were multiple tracks that they probably snipped together, you're thinking? Because he Seems goes. Seems like it, yeah. He's doing the palm mute rhythm as on the same track as the lead, but then the palm mute thing goes away as you get, the lead gets busier. So is that just the way they cut it together? Or I wonder. Did because he do that I can, live? I can, on this, particularly the second fill, I can hear the punch in on that. But. Okay, well, let's hear it real quick. So much has been made about uh, Luke's solos on... Playouts, fade outs, whatever you want to call it. Why don't we just, since we have it here in isolation, let's just let that baby roll. And, and the closer he gets to the end, he gets crazier and crazier because at this point, he's not playing for the track anymore. He's playing for himself <laughs> or playing for his buddies, more likely. Well, and I was wondering at what point did he hand the guitar over to Eddie Van Halen? Yeah, there is some of that. <laughs> so let's hear that.
So that's the solo probably up to what we normally hear if, if the radio will let the fade out go all the way to the end. But then there's all of this that never even made it to the record. And so let's listen to that. The stuff, imagine over the course of their careers how much stuff is never got heard that was as brilliant as that. I want that. the box set of just that stuff. Yeah, oh, man. You know, people buy those like box sets of, uh, you know, pet sounds and all the little snippets and things mm-hmm. that were lost and never used. That'd be a good one. That'd be a good one. Yep. All right. Well, then last but not least, let's uh, bring up the rear with the vocal track here. Yeah, there's, um, I don't have a ton of notes on it. It's but- wet. We did, but it's very wet, and uh, I mean, Bobby just sounds so good on this. I mean, any um, what do you want to say? Gossip about him maybe having intonation problems. We kind of have covered that, which I think was just him being put into a range that is impossible to to cover. Uh, he just sounds impeccable on this tune. Well, listen, as you're listening, I marvel at his control with the vibrato. Well, let's start with the verses because one thing we want to make understood Luther sings the verses on this yes and he is triple tracked here so let's listen to Luke in triple tracking on the verse all I want to do when I wake up in the morning is see your eyes Rosanna Rosanna I never thought that a girl like you could ever care for me Rosanna. Then Bobby takes over for the second half when we modulate to the key of F. All I want to do in the middle of the evening is hold you tight. Rosanna, Rosanna. I didn't know you were looking for more than I could ever be. And I just think, I call that that 70s sound. That's like the right vocal there. sound of the 70s. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Even though this was not in the 70s, but you get the point. Well, I've got a little bit of a note on that later, so we'll see if you you agree. But we we first have this pre-chorus thing, the quieter uh, the section, and goes back to our discussion about harmonies and group vocals that we just did. And in this case, they're down low, and this is structured very much like an SATB choir. We have soprano, we have the top voice, and everything is underneath it, and it has a very bottom-heavy sound on these pre-choruses. Almost uh, barbershop quartet, in a way. And that low voice, man. <laughs> Which does disappear, though. Yes. For the next part. But That's right, because at this point now, we switch to the rock power structure vocals where we've got the melody and all the harmonies are primarily above it to give us that soaring power. And I hear some Boston in this structure. Here it comes. Meet you all the way Rosanna yeah. Meet you all the way And that is the other 70s sound yep. because that, like you said, sounds like Meet Boston or some of the other the great vocal uh, arrangers. Man, Rosanna, that's just that's amazing. Yeah. And keep in mind by the way you hear slight imperfections where maybe not everyone is specifically on the right, um, uh, like the beat in the exact yeah, same way. it hasn't way. been realigned. It hasn't been realigned. They weren't editing with Pro Tools and all that stuff. 
But that doesn't sound as impressive to me when I hear like someone like Jacob Collier put in all these layers and get them exactly quantized and exactly auto-tuned. And it's like, okay, that sounds amazing, but I'm not amazed by it because I know it's all done with hands. Correct. Correct. But this is all the real deal. All the real deal. Yep. Uh, Let's jump forward real quick. I'm going to that third pre-chorus and we've got all the low voices here. See if you, for my entire life, I've been trying to figure it out. Now I've got the vocals in isolation. I want to know what the heck he's saying here. Not quite a year since she went away. Oh, I think I know. You know? What? I'm almost positive I know. Wait, you were not ending the podcast yet. No, he's not saying No, 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 no. I think he says, not quite a year since she went away. And then he parenthetically says, or is it? That's what I always thought, but it doesn't sound like that to me in isolation. Okay, well, let's hear it again. Not quite a year since she went away. Or is it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That was was, uh, me doing it, but uh, yeah. All right, then last thing I have is the two ad-libs that he's able to do on the uh, the chorus here, the third chorus. So we've got uh, uh, three minutes, 30 seconds. He does a couple of ad-libs, and those are worth hearing in isolation. Yes, yes, yes. Those are amazing. <laughs> and it's funny, when you go through the record or the song this way, and then you play the full mix, all the stuff just starts popping out at you. It sure does. You always hear, but you never really hear. Yep. Uh, here's an example of that. So I'm going to go back to 120. So listen to, to this, which I don't know that they go back to this trick too often. I can see your face still shining through the window on the other side. So there they add just a second part. Just on part of the phrase, on yeah. the other side. Right. Not the whole thing. That's so cool. Yep. It, it, I, can you tell, is it doubled or tripled? Sounds like a single voice to me because yeah. he does that little fall at the so end. So a little different yep. there. Yep. And then here's the other question I have. So uh, when they get to these big choruses, right, and it's that full harmony, mm-hmm. the last chorus, am I hearing another high part on top of what they've already established? You Ooh. are, yes. Yep. So let's listen to this. They've already got this full chorus, and then you get to the last one, and you hear this. Me too, all the way, Rosanna. I swear there's another note in there. I swear I'm hearing another high note. Are you talking to me or uh, off? off well, you're the only one well, here, so yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking because I was li- there's. I, I feel like there's a part missing in there that I hear. I hear. Oh, should this be on mic or off? Yeah. Mic? I feel like there's something missing in there that I hear when I listen to the recording. When I listen to the, meaning the full mix. Yeah. I hear a part goes meet you all the way goes above. Mm-hmm. And I'm not hearing that in there. I'm hearing the yeah, I'm hearing something up there. Well, it's funny because maybe I just heard something different than what I'm used to hearing, and it's like there's something different in that harmony. Well, it's not being clouded by because right. at this point, all the organ parts are in there, and there's a whole lot of things going on. So yeah, interesting. Well, again, Steve, as long as you're writing us, just let us know what happened <laughs> yeah. on that session. All yeah. right. Well, I suppose we should just have a quick reminder of what all of this sounds like en masse as it all comes together a little like this.
Well, anything else to add on this masterpiece, or should we uh, float on into a, a lightning round? Yes, yes. I, think we're, I think we're ready. All right, well, simple question for you. Okay, the answer is yes. It's not, it's not yes or no. It doesn't oh. float your boat. Rosanna, it's 90, what did you say it was? 96? Uh, 95, put, 7, was it 95.75? So we've already covered its brilliance. Now we're covering its yachtiness. Rosanna, well, it's, so the scores are 95, 89, 100, and 99. It was their first episode, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe things changed over time. There's no way that's a 95.75 for me. I don't know because I'm I'm questioning myself. Up to now, no, but maybe I'm still don't quite completely have a handle on it. <laughs> well, you should not be doing a yacht rock podcast, sir. All right, I'm out. All right, ahoy for, to you. I'm saying I would if I were like it would be in because it's Toto and it's whatever, it's got some jazz elements and some complex chords, all that stuff that we always talk about. But I'm putting it like in the 60s because it's way too much of a rocker and not yeah. as much as a, you know, groove. There really isn't any jazz influence in that. I mean, the, the chord structure is not, I mean, it's mostly minors and majors. It's not very sophisticated. But the strange modulation in the middle of a verse Correct. to go down a full step is yeah, weird. That so, is. Um, and jazz people are weird. So anyways, <laughs> where do you, you, would you lower the score if you had to? Or not, you don't even have to. But Probably. You? Yeah, okay, that's Probably all I In my mind, yeah. Yep. All right. What do you have for float your boat? Float your boat. I, I went, I kind of built my lightning round out of tracks that, of course, had Toto guys on it. Uh, I had sort of accidentally come across this. Remember way back when you introduced me to the J.P. Morgan album? It was via that song, Can't Hide Love. Love it. Right? Mm-hmm. Can't hide it. Well, Jay Graydon apparently liked that song enough because he did it in 1982 with Dionne Warwick on the album Friends in Love. And it has uh, Lukather and Graydon on guitars, David Foster on roads and pianos, Steve Gadd on drums, Abel Boreal on bass, and Bill Champlin on backups. Whoa, yachty. So I wonder why they keep grabbing this song. But um, I think that they kind of like that sort of post-chorus groove thing that happens that allows them to sort of stretch out and get funky and whatnot. Mm. And maybe that's why they keep bringing it up. But uh, So we're going to jump to 3 minutes and 45 seconds in this. And this is that groove section, and it was similar in the J.P. Morgan one. It was also similar in the Earth, Wind, and Fire version. Um, but notice how they change up the way these syncopated hits are. Every other time, they alternate the way they do it with the keyboards, almost tugging and pulling against each other. So let's listen to a little of that. Whoa. <laughs> That's like That's why they go back to it, because it's fun as hell. That's what I think. So does it float my boat? Is that some kind of question you're asking? Yeah. Uh, yes. It's, yeah, it's rhetorical, Oats. but uh, yeah. Even Dionne Warwick's version. All right. Yeah, it's not bad. Oh, not so bad. I'm going to stick with that album for my buried treasure. All right. Again, uh, another song from that album. This was written by Graydon, as well as Richard Page, and a guy named John, John Bettis. I don't really know much about him. But again, we got uh, Steve Gadd, Abel Boreal. This time we got Steve Percaro on E Rhodes and Synths. I'm assuming it's the E because that's what it sounds like. We have David Foster also on Rhodes. So we got two Rhodes on this. How yachty is that? 
Uh, I took the roads less traveled. But <laughs> <laughs> you were dying to say it. Right? Oh, geez. All right. Um, Jay Graydon on guitars and synths, Richard Page and Steve George on backups, and this is another cool tune called For You. Nice. So very yachty, very yachty, yeah. Very yachty. Well, no surprise given who produced it and the personnel. That personnel, on it. yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, How I'm going to have to go through that. that guitar part, oh, though, man. Jeez. Geez. Yeah. Talk about precision. Almost a machine. Well, I'm going to have to go back and explore that record further. That's what's happening now. All very right. Treasure for you. Yes. So I'm going to go way back in time to a cringeworthy moment on the podcast. Uh, what was I thinking? And remember, we did an episode called uh, Guilty Pleasures. I do. And these were the songs that we were embarrassed to say that we liked, but we didn't care, and we were going to confess our guilty pleasures. Yeah, and, I would say that they're not as yachty as we thought they were at the time, but I'm still... mundo. Okay. Not so fast, my friend. I, I remember... Not so fast? Your co-host had the unmitigated gall to claim something so unyachty as to be a guilty pleasure, even within the relevance of a Yacht Rock podcast, and that was... Ready for it? I'm ready. The Grease soundtrack. Oh, yes. yes. What were you thinking? Yeah, that was hopelessly devoted to you. Yep. And I said, you got to want to listen to it. Now, take off the 1950s blinders that you're already built in, but you're going to hear something there that's yachty, okay? Okay. All right. Well, relevant to this week's episode, I'm on talkbase.com. <laughs> okay. They are discussing the various excellent bass lines of David Hungate. Mm. Did you know, sir? That he played the bass, this is by Barry Treasure, that he is the bassist, or bassist, as they say in Columbia, mm. for You're the One That I Want. Whoa. Let's hear some of that bass line. I got chills, no, I did not know that that was Hungate at all. It's got to well, be that, that noisy P bass in there, I bet you. It is the exact same bass that yeah. he played on Roseanne. Okay. So, now, I did a little digging. Listen to the personnel on the Grease soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> I'll just go through some Yachty people. Drums, Carlos Vega. Bass, Mike Percaro. Mm. David Hungate. Uh, guitar, I don't know if this guy's Yachty, John Farrar, but Jay Graydon. Yeah. Did you know he played on that? No. Including this Hopefully Devoted to, to You? It's all news to He's me. He's the guitars on Hopelessly okay. Devoted to You. Okay. And I'm guessing Percaro was the bassist. Lee Rittenauer, uh, Tommy Tedesco, Peter Frampton played guitars on Grease is the Word. That, Whoa. Not that, that's Yachty, but... No, um, but something. Let's see. Ernie Watts. Yeah. You got to go hear the Ernie Watts guitar her sax solos on Alone at, the, at a Drive-In Movie. It's just Dang. amazing. Um, let's see, Victor Feldman's on percussion. It's just, um, it's loaded with, yachty. and of course, when was it recorded? It was recorded right in the uh, heart yeah, and of you the, couldn't uh, afford the music not to be good. It was a musical, so exactly. uh, you had to have the best of the best. And I always thought that that Grease song sounded like it was trying to be the Bee Gees, and Barry Gibb yeah. does, in fact, sing on that. Okay. So, yeah. there you go. Very much. I always thought it was a Bee Gees song, but I get you. So it wasn't quite as cringeworthy as even I thought it yeah, was. Yeah, a little recovery there. That's good. Yeah, so that's Coming back my... from the ashes, the phoenix is rising. Pretty good Barry Treasure to find all that yacht personnel on something that I erroneously called a guilty yacht rock pleasure. Okay. Okay. 
Well, I'll tell you who does not think Rosanna is a Yacht Rock song. Who? The Spotify algorithm. Oh, really? <laughs> because I told you I'd listen to, just wanted to hear the full mix after I had analyzed this whole thing, and then I let it play. And boy, what came out afterwards was, it was all like 1980s appropriate, but- Like Loverboy and things like that? all over the map. Okay. And I got to a song, well, all over the map. I got to a song that I'm like, well, this isn't Yacht Rock at all, but it's close, kind of. Joe Jackson, you can't get what you want. So I never thought that Joe Jackson had anywhere, any business being anywhere near the boat. But that's not bad for off the map. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's got some of the jazz stuff. Sonically, it's not right. but uh, No, especially with him singing. It's just yeah. not. But, uh, yeah, that was a pleasant surprise. Very cool. Very cool. Well, my final uh, off the map here. I'm going to need you to pull up uh, Yatsky scale there. Do your schmoogling or whatever name you decided to give that. And just pull up. Yugling. Yeah, yugling. Pull up the... Filter it for all the Toto tracks, because okay. that's going to become uh, relevant here. Got it. So I have a song that's been on my list I've been wanting to use for a while. It has not been rated. Mm. 1979 Hydra album. It has a very, just a sublime halftime shuffle. Great guitar solo. Duh. Uh, lots of Hungate candy in it, you know. Sophisticated accents and stabs. Probably its downside would be that it is a bit of a screamer vocal. It's mostly upper register Bobby uh, throughout. Um, but let's give a little bit of listen to Mama. Alright, so now you've heard a bit of Mama. Mm-hmm. Where based on what you see now, where would you necessarily rate it as much as where do you think it fits on the scale of what you're looking at? Okay. Well we've got Rosanna is the highest at ninety five point seven five. The lowest is Afraid of Love at thirty one point five. And the two nearest the Mendoza line are Pamela below forty seven point five. In St. George and the Dragon at fifty three point two five. Okay. That song I'm putting just below Georgie Porgy at seventy one point five, but above Rockmaker at sixty seven point two five. Oh, so fairly high. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad. I, I actually have it higher than that in my opinion. Okay, well, where would you have it? And I'll tell you the um, closest song. Well, I, I I've already made my notes. So would you like me to read them to you, or would you like to just know? No, answer the question. Okay. What do you want me to ask? Answer. <laughs> where would you put it? As a number? Yeah, eighty five. All right, that would be uh, between Waiting for Your Love and Below Make Believe. That's what I had written down here. Oh, then we, we concur. <laughs> Why did you have me pull up the Oscar scale? <laughs> oh. Ay, ay, ay. Ahoy, Ploy. Ahoy, Ploy.